Welcome to Rebel Without Applause, where we explore the intersection of sports, entertainment, and culture. I'm your host, Maurice Bob, and today we have a very special guest on the line. She starred at East Technical High School in Cleveland, Ohio, where she was a McDonald's All-American, a Gatorade Ohio Player of the Year, and Miss Ohio Basketball. Then she went on to UConn, where she earned back-to-back championships as was a member of the Big East All-Rookie Team, and she earned a bachelor's degree in political science. Then went on to be drafted by the WNBA in the first round by the Seattle Storm, and now she's playing over at professional basketball in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the program, Barbara Turner. Thanks for having me. Appreciate How it. You doing? I'm doing well. <laughs> That's good to hear, uh, especially in this time. Uh, where am I catching you these days? I'm in Houston, Texas right now, um, just okay. in and getting ready to go back uh, in the first week of September to Turkey. Perfect. Okay, well, we'll definitely get to that. Um, right. So, uh, obviously, the uh, program is called Rebel Without Applause. And, uh, you know, what I like to do is start off with, you know, what is your most rebellious moment? Uh, like in my life? Yes. It could be personal, it could be professional. I mean, yes, I, my most rebellious moment was not succumbing to the pressures of where I grew up. Um, I just refused to um, not be successful. I refused to not be somebody that would be remembered from where I grew up from. And um, I just carried that mindset throughout my entire life. And I still have it. Like, I still try to attain the highest amount of success in whatever I'm doing. So, um, I don't know if you would define that as rebellious, but I feel as though you have to kind of be that way in order to get over the pressures of, you know, the things that I could have experienced had I not had that mindset. So it sounds like you developed that mindset at a very early age. Where, mm-hmm. where did you get that drive from? Did you have a role model or? Um, I mean, my biggest supporter and my biggest um, fan and my biggest critic has always been my grandmother. Um She just instilled in me to believe in myself no matter what I decided to become. Um, She instilled in me that, um, you know, to always believe in my name, believe in who I was and um, just stay driven at whatever I wanted to do. So uh, I will probably say her more than anybody. And then I started uh, getting interested in basketball because of my brother. Okay. Combination of the two of them um, really is what helped propel me forward. It helped me understand that, you know, I wasn't going to be another statistic from where I grew up from. So uh, obviously, you know, when you say statistic, you know, those are types of things that plague, you know, African-American communities growing up. Mm -hmm. You know, how is it that someone like you is able to use sports and get out where others aren't? What is it about sports that allows you to sort of break free? I mean, it's, it's just an outlet. It's a way to get away from things you see every day. It's a way to um, get away from the bad influences that you could become a part of, like gangs or, you know, drug dealers or become interested in drugs myself. You know, so it was just I just always thought, what could I do to get away from it? And um, it's funny because about six or eight months ago, I received um we had to write a paragraph basically on what we wanted to be when we grew up. 
and literally everything, and this was in the fifth grade, literally everything that I wrote about, uh, I've pretty much done that and more. So um, I guess sports is just my way of, you know, kind of just getting away from everything that was around me or that could have been around me in a negative way. It's funny, too, because, you know, I grew up in a rough area as well. Um, and there seems to be like, even though it could be rough and tumble and things happen, there's, there's almost an understanding with those that are, you know, are doing wrong when they when they know about kids that are trying to keep the straight and narrow or doing well in sports. They tend to leave those kids alone and try to almost even protect them in the way. Did, did you see that, you know, uh, in your area? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, still to this day, um, the people that grew up during my time uh, hold a, a high amount of respect for me. And, you know, I feel safe even in the areas that are not as safe. Just because, you know, people know who I am. People know what I brought to the city during my time in high school. And people know know that the notoriety that I brought in a positive way. And usually when you have kids like that, that is bringing notoriety to an area in a positive way, they do tend to leave them alone. Um, you can find very rare cases to where um, the gang life has that's been bringing net positive things to, to the neighborhood. So. Um, I definitely experienced that growing up, still experience it now. Um, and it was just another way to feel I needed to do something positive with my life just because I had that support from the people around me, too. So, you know, uh, speaking of high school, you know, you and your team, you, you accomplished a major feat that hadn't been accomplished, you know, uh, in your city and state before, you know, with your girls team. You know, can you talk about how you guys were able to you know, pull together and, you know, really make an impact to that degree? Um, I think uh, in my entire career, I just had this conversation with somebody today. I've always set out to elevate whatever situation that I've been in, whether that means I'm the best player and I'm trying to elevate it, whether that means um, being the best leader, the best teammate, trying to elevate my teammates to be great. So I just focused on that going into my senior year. We had gotten close um, my sophomore and junior year, but I wasn't ready um, from that standpoint of elevating us all the way to the top. And, you know, I just got this attitude to where I had to do something different and my from my junior year to my senior year. And I think that the main part of it was just either in elevating us in a, in a leadership way and then leading by example. Um, my teammates saw all the attention that I got from colleges um, going into my senior year, top level school. All the top coaches came to my high school, which is crazy um, because of the area that it's in. And yeah. uh, it motivated them. It motivated them and they wanted to be better. So they started to do extra workouts. They started to do extra practicing. They, they started to watch more basketball and learn more. So I think just uh, seeing the success that I had and then wanting to have that same amount of attention, it kind of brought us together as a group and made us reach to attain more success. And we was able to win a championship. Now, you know, being that you, uh, you, you know, you, you were the girls team, obviously, um, and the WNBA was still in an infancy stage, you know, were you guys pulling inspiration from watching them or, you know, who are you watching to sort of pattern, you know, your team uh, against? So oddly enough, we had a team in Cleveland when I was coming up and, um, when the inauguration of the WNBA started, there was a team in Cleveland. And um, John Lucas was, he became the Cavs head coach. 
I met him my sophomore year of high school going into my junior year. Okay. And he was like, I heard you really good. I want to start training you, you know, whatever. And I'm like, this is the head coach of the Cleveland Cavs. There's no way he's being serious, you know. Gave me his information. So I was like, all right, I'm going to test him out. So I called him the next day. I was like, I'm ready to work out, you know, whatever. So long story short, he brought me in the gym. I trained with him, and he was like, I want you to meet Lisa Boyer, who at the time he was actually grooming to be the first female assistant coach uh, in the NBA, which a lot of people don't put that fact out there. A lot of people think that it was Becky Hammond, but Lucas was the first one to kind of plant the seed that a woman could work in the NBA with uh, Lisa Boyer. It wasn't legal at the time. The NBA didn't yeah. allow it, but he kind of did it behind the scenes. So I was introduced to her. I started training with her. She was an assistant coach with the Cleveland Rockers at the time. So sometimes I would work out with them and practice against them. So I got to see what it was like um, at the pro level. I had season tickets. My aunt had season tickets, so we would always go to games. So I got to see what it was like. So I didn't want anything less than to be a part of that. Okay. I got to see and actually be in it and around it, you know, through John Lucas. Yeah. It, it really helps when you can make a, you know, a tangible attachment, you know, as far as your dreams, you know, because it's, it's one thing to have sort of things in your mind when you can reach out and touch it and have something tangible to reach for. Uh, I think that really does help, you know, you gravitate towards success. And obviously, you know, it helps you to be the leader that you need to be uh, to lead your team to the promised land. Um, you know, and you talked about, you know, all the big name colleges coming to your, you know, your games and you went to, you know, the bet the, the best team really uh, in the nation, especially with, you know, women's basketball, you know, talk about what it, what it came down to for you in choosing, you know, UConn. Um, I cared about winning. Um, I could have went to a lot of other schools and probably had success from a winning standpoint and probably not, probably not won a national championship. Like it would have been hard and I would have had all the individual accolades and all that stuff. But at the time they would have went in this team. And at the time that was the biggest challenge for me. And in addition to that, believe it or not, being in Connecticut made me understand that I had to learn different worlds because mm -hmm. the world that I was in, in the city of Cleveland, where, you know, um, I don't want to say it was hood or anything like that, but it was like, I would have been limited had I not tried to expand myself and learn different worlds. And um, so I took that on as a challenge as well um, to show that just because I'm from the city of Cleveland, you know, I went to school in the hood, as people say, or whatever. And, um, you know, I, I, it, just, it was just to show that I can attain success anywhere that I go in the world. And what pl better place than rural Connecticut, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to do that or to try to do that. So uh, I took that on as a challenge in addition to the fact that they were a, a, a winning program as well. So in your mind, you looked at, you know, UConn as this, you know, ultimate plateau and you said to yourself, I belong there. I'm going to go there and I'm going to start there. Uh, and that's why you, you know, you chose the Huskies. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that, in those exact words, I'm going to go there. I'm going to start there. I'm going to win a national championship everything <laughs> to the T. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when you were coming in, you know, you had a huge changing of the guard. I mean, some amazing players, uh, you know, leaving there, you know, talk about what it was like stepping on the campus uh, in the shadows of a, 
you know, a Sue Bird and Swing Can, you know, all these all these uh, ultimate players there. Well, my freshman class, although we were highly touted in our respective high school class, we came in as underdogs because, you know, they graduated all those, you know, future Hall of Fame players. And nobody believed that we would be as good as we were. But again, um, my mindset, my mentality is always elevate the situation, always be do everything I can to make the situation better or just as good as it was. And I came in with the mentality that we were going to win right away. Um, and that's not being cocky. That's not being like, you know, thinking too much of myself. I just didn't go in with the mindset of what people thought of us. Yeah. I never went in with the mindset of what people thought of me. So, you know, I was like, we're going to win the national championship and we're going to go 40 and 0. We played 40 games because they were 39 and 0 the year before. And uh, we had a banquet and one of the fans or something like that asked the question, how do you top 39 and 0 to Gino? And before he can answer, I was like, play 40 games. And I was <laughs> like, I didn't laugh. You know, the fans were laughing. Oh, ha, ha, this knucklehead freshman. You, know. you were serious. I was dead serious. And we won the first 30 games. <laughs> like literally won the first 30 games. And then it was like, whoa, like this kid is like, she's legit. Like she's telling the truth. You know, it took that for the respect to come around for my class. And um, after that, you know, we lost in the Big East tournament, which I think we needed to lose because we were young and we needed a moment before the tournament to kind of humble us, yeah. kind of make us reset. And it did, and we went on to win the national championship. So I was mostly right, but you know, we just lost one game. So yeah, I think you know you'd you'd rather uh, win the chip than to go undefeated in the regular season and, and lose. So, <laughs> that's, that's, that's that's probably a great trade off. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like playing for a legendary coach? You know, like Coach Gino. Um, it was everything. I get this question a lot. Uh, sometimes I, to be honest, it's uncomfortable for me to answer because, mm -hmm. you know, everybody wants to expect to hear, hear the politically correct thing. You know, he's great. It's amazing. It's this, it's that. No, it's a lot of things. It's challenging. Um, some days it's too demanding on a mm -hmm. kid or, you know, somebody in their early 20s. Some days it's... Um, you can be like you can succumb to the amount of pressure and you can get sort of depressed. Like it's a lot. Like it's a lot to play there. Um, but I will say that with all of that, that I experienced all the hardships and difficulties, it built me up to deal with any adversity that I would deal with as a professional. So um, although it was a lot, although it was challenging, although he was a lot, um, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world just because it help mold and shape me to be where I am today. And, and you know, and typically when you have a coach like that um, and they challenge you, it only, it's only going to make you better. You know, uh, iron sharpens iron, mm -hmm. um, you know, and you'll treat, you know. It's different though. I mean, we can, we can go with the cliche of it was a challenge. It was a challenge, but in some ways it was a bit more, if you think in terms of uh, people have different mental capacities, not okay. everybody. Not everybody could rise to those occasions all the time or not everybody was mentally prepared to rise, rise to those occasions. So it wasn't a, a challenge in the sense that it was something that I couldn't handle. It was a challenge in the sense that it was like, whoa, like this is a lot, you know, 
but um i mean just where i'm from and how how things are i'm gonna rise to the occasion no matter what i'm gonna get through it no matter what but the next kid they may not be able to or the next kid they may have some issues leaving there because of those 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 challenges and it being a lot you know so it just depends on person to person but i'm just saying in my experience it was a lot but <laughs> 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 Um, now you you played with another great player on that team, you know Diana Taurasi. Um, you know, can you talk about how your you know your first interactions with her and you know kind of the battles and the trenches you know that you uh, you ladies went through? Um, I mean, because I was a knucklehead freshman who thought <laughs> highly of myself, we clashed a lot. Um, our both of our competitive natures and how we are, it clashed. But once I developed. I don't remember at what point it happened, but once I developed the amount of respect for the pressures that she was dealing with, for the demands that she was dealing with on a daily basis, once I started to understand that, I developed a different level of respect for her. Okay. Um, I guess it had to be me getting through it, starting to break through it myself, but you know, hers was at a much higher level than what mine was as a freshman coming in because she was pressured to be great every night, you know? Whereas I'm a freshman, nobody expects a freshman to be good. If if freshman is good, it's a bonus, you know. So um, I think the little class between us went out the window when I started to understand that, man, this girl has to deal with a lot on a day-to-day -day basis, you know. And she's great, and she's great at it, to, to add to that. She's great at it, you know. Did it, did it, did uh, the back and forth and the kind of push-pull you had with her, uh, how did that affect you? you know, as a player, you know, moving forward? Not at all. It made me better because she's another person that whatever situation she wants to be in, she wants to elevate the situation and she wants it to be great and she wants to win. So um, it wasn't a thing that it was a push-pull thing and I got worse or, you know, it kind of pushed me behind everybody. It was, it made me step up and rise to the occasion more because I wanted to be like her or in that light like her, you know. And, and, you know, you, you, you were successful, you know, you made the Big East uh, all rookie team. So, you know, that mm -hmm. shows right there that you, uh, you know, you took to the hot water and you got cooking. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so after having such a successful, you know, college career, you know, you went on to get drafted, you know, by the WNBA. What was that like, you know, you know, like you said, looking back to when you were a kid and you knew, you know, you were going to make it out. You were going to be successful. To hear your name called and be drafted, what was that like for you? What was the culmination of that moment? I mean, my whole family was there. Um, everybody that um, I wished to see me in that light was there to share that moment with me. And it's something that I'll never forget. Um, it made me um, understand more of all the struggles and everything that I went through was for a reason. And it made me appreciative of the entire process. Everybody that helped me along the way, high school coaches, high school trainer, Lisa Boyer, John Lucas, it made me appreciate, I mean, you know, my whole, the UConn staff and all of that. It made me appreciate all the experiences that I had because, you know, at the end, that's what the end result was. And still to this day, it's something that, you know, I hold near to my heart forever. What, what was something that, you know, you, uh, like you told your, your, your biggest mentor, uh, you know, when you did, you know, get that call? 
Thank you. Thank you. First and foremost, thank you. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for not allowing me to give up on myself. Thank you for making me push through when I didn't feel like it because, you know, you know, on the road to greatness, everybody talks about the end of the road, but they don't know the struggles that it takes to get there. They don't know the days that you don't feel like doing it, you know. Um, being my support system, just, you know, just thank you. That's, that's, that's the only thing that you can say at that point. It really hammers home that Drake lyric, you wasn't with me when I was shooting in the gym, you know, you really appreciate the ones who were, mm-hmm. you know, with you. Um, you know, it really makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you, you played for, you know, the storm and, you know, the comments and, you know, you didn't, then you found yourself back, uh, you know, in the Connecticut area, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what was that like, you know, going back to kind of where it all kind of blew up for you? It was like I never left college because UConn fans are so loyal. They never forget you. So, you know, I, I had that same support, the same group that used to stand over the uh, tunnel when I was running the locker room in college was right there when I was with the Connecticut Sun. So it was like I was back at home. Um, my WNBA career was um, – I mean, you don't ever want to say it was a failure because I did it for four years. Mm -hmm. But I will say that looking back and the things that I know now, it would have been a lot of things that I would have done differently in order to make it a longer WNBA career. I don't regret it because I've had a long, illustrious career in general, and I'm still at it. But there are some things that from a maturity standpoint, from a understanding how to take care of your body and all of those things that I know now that I would have done differently uh, in my whole WNBA career in general. Now, you know, it's funny you make, you mentioned that because, you know, you've transitioned, like you said, uh, to playing overseas and really, you know, you see a lot more uh, men's professional uh, professionals going overseas now, but really the women started that whole Genesis because, They didn't necessarily have somewhere to play here, you know, in America. Can you talk about kind of how, where that's kind of transitioned from the beginning to now, where it's more popular, uh, you know, the growth of the international game and, you know, kind of where you find yourself there now? I mean, from the beginning until now, it's grown so much. It's so many opportunities to make so much money doing it. It's so many opportunities to have a great career only there. Um, as opposed to playing here and in the WNBA. So um, it's a great experience. You learn a lot of different cultures. You learn a lot of um, different languages. You know, you learn a different style of basketball. Um, It's been a huge, huge, huge market uh, for the last 15 years. So, you know, now it's like it's, it's expanded and now it's like typical. It's the same now. So would you say... Um, because, you know, even though the WNBA is a lot more popular than it was, it has still gone through some growing pains and it even got to the point where a lot of NBA players have stepped up to the plate to help promote and support and try to drive attendance there. Do you feel like fans overseas appreciate the women's game more uh, so than they do here in America? Or I think, uh, it's it's a little different there because overseas in most countries, betting is really popular. Okay. Because betting is really popular, you know, people are investing money, so they want to see the teams that they support or the clubs that they support in their respective cities do well. 
So they're coming to the game, you know, a lot for that reason alone. Okay. Um, in addition to, you know, loving to see basketball. So that's probably a little the difference between here and there is that um, it's more of a, of a um, I guess you would call it investment. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and then the, the supporters and the sponsors um, come for betting as well. And that's what a lot of okay. people don't know about overseas. So people will say, well, they support women's basketball more overseas. No, that's not necessarily true. It is true, but it's not necessarily true because there are a lot of people that support women's basketball here. It's just a different platform and what, what is invested into it is different. Okay. So if, uh, you know, the league here uh, kind of embraced gambling a little bit better, you think it would, it would help the game? I mean, there is a, uh, it's a positive and a negative to the gambling part of it though, because okay. you don't have any control over who's betting. So, you know, it could be referees that's refing the game. It could be people that's keeping the score. Like you just don't know. Yeah. And I'm not saying that there's a conspiracy to overseas basketball at all. I'm not saying the games are fixed or anything like that. But I'm saying if we did that here in America, then that's a possibility, you know. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, obviously you come from where you come from and you had to go to a completely different environment uh, in Yukon and you succeeded there. And now, you know, you're going over to Turkey. Mm -hmm. Turkey's got to be a huge departure from, you know, not just what you've seen, but what you're used to, different type of culture. You know, what has it been like, not just being a professional athlete, but also being an African-American woman over there, you know, acclimating and to that country, but also, you know, trying to stand out and be a player? I mean, part of it depends on what city you're in there because some cities are very modernized and it's like being here um, in America, like it's, it's Istanbul, or as we say Istanbul, but it's actually Istanbul, the capital okay. Ankara, um, you know, and I can name a few, Chesme, I can name a few other cities that it's very modernized or whatever. But if you go to a smaller city and it's more Muslim, obviously they've seen less black people, you know, of my skin tone or haven't seen black people at all. So you'll have people stare at you and you'll have the awkward looks and the awkward feeling when you're out in public and things like that. But other than that, for the most part, everything is just like being at home. Um, I've actually made myself learn the language because I've been there so long. So that's that has made it an even easier transition for me. So I have friends over there and everything. So it's just easy. So uh, have you grasped the language enough to where you could call out a play? In Turkish? Oh, yeah, for like... sure, for sure. I can speak to the referees <laughs> in Turkish, all that, yeah, for sure. Uh, can you give us a, a, a sample, like, okay, uh, you know, call out a play in Turkish for us? I mean, a, a number? Uh, any, anything. Give us a, give us a sample. Um, beer. <laughs> beer means one. <laughs> beer equals okay. Dirk base. I can count. I mean, that's pretty much all the plays are in numbers, so, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, and that's a really great, um, you know, mindset to have to not just go over there and be kind of boisterous in your Americanism. You know, you're going over there and embracing uh, the heritage and the culture and the language. Absolutely. Um, they they respect that more. They appreciate it more. They do. Um, when you come over there and you don't have the mindset of America is better and all, you know, like and you respect their culture. You want to learn. You want to understand them and the way they do things and stuff like that. So. So I, um, I understand that you also got a dual citizenship as well. I do. Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. 
what 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 does that feel like? You know, when you uh, you, you can say that you're a citizen of a whole another country. A whole another uh, country. <laughs> uh, <laughs> does that what does that mean at a time like this? Because you know, I you know I feel it feels like America's not as you know loved as it used to be. When, you know, when you're overseas. Did it freeze? Yes, it did. <laughs> All right, we're back? Okay. <laughs> yes, we're back. Okay. Uh, no, I was just asking, you know, uh, what does it feel like having that other citizenship, especially at a time where, you know, America's not as loved overseas as it used to be, or, you know, uh, people um, are always jealous of I, America. It doesn't feel any different to me. I mean, Turkey has become a second home, to be honest. So, I'm comfortable there. I'm comfortable in Europe as well. So it doesn't feel any different to me, honestly. Okay. So, you know, I, you know, I have to ask you, you know, um, when you are dealing with uh, the times that we're in now, uh, what does it feel like kind of being here, but also being there when you look at what happened with George Floyd and, you know, how it was a turning point, um, you know, for every, basically everybody came together to protest how wrong it was. And it really shone a light on, you know, the racial discrimination, the police brutality and all these things. What's it like kind of being on, you know, both sides of the world kind of looking at this, you know, uh, these issues? I mean, to be honest, when I'm there and uh, my friends that hear about the news that happens here with police brutality and the murder of innocent black people, it's embarrassing to be honest, because they can't understand why the color of someone's skin would be the reason why somebody would want to hurt them, not because of their character and not because of something that they did to harm them. They just simply are being murdered for the color of their skin. And it doesn't translate well with them. Like it doesn't make sense to them. So um, when I'm there, it's embarrassing. When I'm here, uh, it's disheartening. It's sad. Um, I have brothers. I have nephews. I have close friends who have little brothers, who have sons, who have kids. And I worry every day. Um, it sounds so cliche because so many black people say, I, I worry every day, I worry every day. But it legit could happen to anybody. And I don't know what my mindset would be if I experienced that within somebody with somebody close to me. Um, but I do know that something has to change. Um, I do know that it has to be taken seriously. Um, the George Floyd incident was George Floyd incident was like kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for black people. But um, I think that this has all been building up for years now. If we go down the list, uh, the, the outrage between, behind Trayvon Martin to Michael Brown to, to the rest, to Oscar Grant, we can keep naming all the names. There are so many names. It's, it's just too so many names. Sad that you, you know, you can actually see, I can sit here and name 10 people right off the top of my head. Um, so I, I stand with the movement. I stand. I, I stand for Black Lives Matter. I understand what Black Lives Matter means, um, not what the media try to portray it as, or not what our president tries to portray it as. And I understand that at some point we're going to have to pinpoint one leader, one Martin Luther King, one Malcolm X, somebody like that that's going to spark the change for us to not have to experience this anymore. Exactly. Uh, we have a real dearth of leadership uh, 
uh, you know, especially in African American community. And mm -hmm. that's highlighted only when, when you see some of these great civil rights leaders passing, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Don Lewis, that mm -hmm. really hammered home, like he was such a great man, but do we have another uh, John Lewis in the way, in the, in the, uh, in the offing, you know, that's the grooming the that's coming on? That's the question for us. And that's what I feel as though the outright is trying to eliminate. They don't want another leader like that. Um, we have to keep working within ourselves and we have to keep figuring out and educating ourselves on who who can become that, um, who has the power to become that, who who knows enough to become that. Um, because if you think in terms of, for example, a Martin Luther King and how smart he was, he used the Constitution in order to spark his movement. We got to find somebody that knows the laws and knows all the behind the scenes stuff from a political standpoint enough in order to spark that movement. We can't just go based on emotions. We can't just go based on, you know, this person was murdered, this, this, and that. We have to continue to educate ourselves. We have to continue to learn the laws, learn the the, the ins and outs of the laws and um, how we can sort of, I don't want to say manipulate it because it sounds bad, but how we can make it um, to where everything is equal, basically. Yeah, and, we, and it's evident that we have a long way to go. And, um, you know, and especially when you look at, you know, like you said, uh, the women are always in the throes of, of major movements. And you look at what's happening with the, you know, Atlanta Dream. Mm -hmm. They literally have a co-owner who's speaking out and deriding the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. and, and you have the players who are stepping up and fighting back, you know, and, you know, they're saying, OK, we're not standing for this. And they wore those shirts where to vote for that uh, senator's opponent, mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was very, you know, in your face. And dope. That was dope. That was yeah, dope. I mean, dope for so many. It was dope because a lot of people that don't know, they, they took it as them wearing a T-shirt. But those girls actually took the time to educate themselves. They learned about her opponent. They learned about her opponent's philosophies and what their political beliefs were. They educated themselves. That's what we have to do as a black community is continue to educate ourselves to see what's right. Get out and vote. Know who we're voting for. Don't just say get out and vote and then go vote for somebody and don't know the candidate and don't know what they're doing. So that's why I think what the Atlanta Dream did was like so groundbreaking because they actually took the time to educate themselves before they decided to do the T-shirts and speak out against their owner. And, you know, they really showed unity, not just with that team, but across the league. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and one thing that's just kind of uh, disconcerting to me was, you know, the players union, they tried to call for her ouster, um, you know, because it's almost as if she's like the female Donald Sterling. Mm -hmm. um, she hadn't, she didn't go racial epithet, but, mm -hmm. you know, she's pushing against, uh, you know, her own players' interests. And uh, apparently the commissioner can't, you know, force her to sell the team or whatever else. So they're going to have to find ways to, I guess, still play, but also, you know, keep the movement going, but also deal with her uh, and her noise as she's trying to push the agenda. Because, you know, she's up running for election. She's a big Trump supporter. She has all these sort of anti, you know, Black Lives Matter uh, ideologies. And it's got to be difficult to be, you know, a player uh, on that team and having to deal with that because it's not just that team, it's the whole league that she's basically, uh, you know, shooting the middle finger at. Girls, it's like you're working for a Fortune 500 company and your CEO is racist, but it's a Fortune 500 company. 
and you're not in a position to stand out and move, make moves and do things on your own. So you have to live and survive in that, basically. And I'm not comparing the WNBA situation to a Fortune 500 company, but you get what I'm trying to say. Exactly. What they're yeah. doing is exactly what they need to do. I wouldn't say protest and not play games and things like that because that's also not in their best interest if we're being realistic. Um, but continue to speak out, continue to let your voice be heard, continue to do uh, things that show a symbol of um, you being against what she stands for. And that'll speak more to your character than you going out and playing in the game and people judging you for playing for somebody that doesn't support your cause. You know, so what they're doing is absolutely perfect. What do you see as being the long game? Because, you know, obviously it's going to come to a point where, um, you know, she's going to have to either win her seat or lose her seat. And then after sort of the whole political machine has kind of died down, you know, where's it going to go then? Is she going to backtrack or still push forward with it? You know, where do you see the long game, you know, with the team and what they should do? Who she think who she is is who she is. It's not gonna change if these, she's the senator or not. If she's not the senator, then she's gonna be, you know, a Republican Trump supporter, you know, as a, as an everyday citizen. So who she is is who she is. What she's gonna do with the team is gonna be what she's gonna do with the team. Um, we don't know what her uh, her reasoning is for continuing to be a co-owner of the team. You know, it could be for her own personal financial gain. We don't know. So. We can't say uh, what things are going to be like if she's not the senator. What we do know is who she is isn't going to change. She doesn't believe in Black Lives Matter. She doesn't. She sees it as a political stance. So, stunt. So, you know, that's just who she is. Yeah, and you know, obviously, her character has been called into question when she made those um, suspect trades during uh, the early parts of the COVID nineteen uh, crisis when she made all that money. <laughs> that knowledge where the rest of us didn't have. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that tells you a lot about her uh, as an individual right there. Right. Um, you know, but can you speak to kind of uh, another initiative where Maya Moore at the top of her game, she put the basketball down and went to help a guy um, who was wrongfully convicted Mm -hmm. uh, fight his case and, and eventually get out of prison. Can you talk about kind of the sacrifice and, and how motivating that was for other girls coming up? Maya Moore is a movement. Let's just say what it is. She's a movement in herself. Um, it, she needs to be recognized as that. Um, she needs to be appreciated as that. I don't know of any athlete other than Ali that in their prime of their career, in their best years of their career, would have put everything on hold for something that they stood for or something that they stood against. So she's an entire movement um, by herself. I hold a tremendous amount of respect for her. I already did as a basketball player because I think just what she accomplished in a short amount of time was amazing. But what she accomplished now is just, it took her, it took her to a whole nother level um, as a person and everything else. Um, I'm proud to even have met her um when she was at UConn and practiced with her one day or whatever so you know that's one of those stories that I'll look back and brag about like yeah I knew Maya Moore you know not personally but I had encounters with her you know and I think that's cool I think that's cool that that her name is on that level with some of the greatest athletes ever as a women's basketball player 
I think that's amazing. And then, you know, uh, we, you know, we don't know what her, you know, political aspirations might be or might not be, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's clear that she's a leader, at least by example, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to, like you said, step away at the top of her game and really believe in something and, and see it all the way through. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, she changed that man's life forever, but also uh, you got to think about, you know, the spark that she's also put into other people, not just other women, not just other female players, but also uh, just regular people who want, you know, see something wrong and they might want to do it, get up and do something about it. She educated, uh, she educated herself. That's the key. None yeah. of it even been possible if she didn't educate herself. She did. She learned what she needed to do to help this guy. And if that that alone should be enough inspiration for all of us to get in get in the books and start to study and use, um, you know, the internet to educate ourselves more. Because without that, she it wouldn't what she accomplished wouldn't have been possible. Yeah, we have, we have to educate ourselves and do our own research, um, and not just be driven by you know what other people say. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to really dig in, especially to our own history, because there's a lot of things that have been stricken from the record. Um, you know, I myself didn't know about Black Wall Street um, mm-hmm. until it was part of that uh, Watchmen show on HBO, mm-hmm. and people were saying, "Why are they? Why are they doing this or whatever?" That's, that's not real. And it turns out that really happened. Really? Um, and there were a lot of those instances, you know, uh, in our history that we don't know about, and we just really need to dig deep and find out that information, and it'll help us, you know, move forward. Uh, especially like, you know, what, what we need to do, what we need to change and where we need to go. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I can't let you go without uh, getting your thoughts on, you know, the bubble. Uh, mm-hmm. So we have two different bubbles. Uh, you know, we have the uh, NBA bubble and we have the WNBA bubble, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and there were early on, I don't know what it's like now, but it seemed to be that the WNBA bubble wasn't as, uh, as nice, uh, we'll say, uh, as the NBA bubble, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, the bubble moving forward and, you know, and what it's like uh, for the for the girls playing there? I mean, have you talking to, spoken to any of them? Yeah, um, I'm close with um, Megan Walker that plays in New York. But okay. um, I will say that first and foremost, America needs to be in the bubble because it's worked. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't had positive COVID cases, so it works. You know, so I, I think America needs to consider putting ourselves in a bubble for two weeks or however long. It was three weeks for those guys, I think, that they ended up doing that before they played. But um, in general, uh, when it comes to NBA and WNBA, I hate those comparisons because we're dealing with two different worlds right now. Yes, it's the same sport, but, you know, in the women's game, in the women's, in the WNBA, it's less players, you know, it's less staff it's less everything so um i'm not saying that to say they deserve the bare minimum heck no not at all but uh that's like where the difference comes from you know and i guess i guess that's where the difference comes from um and you know i i've heard that the conditions in the nba bubble aren't that great so the, the most important thing for those guys is they're safe they're not you know exposed to the virus and they're able to play the game that they love. So, you know, you can't we can't get spoiled and, and try to throw in comparisons and things like that. They're in a great place right now. They're in a lot in a better a lot better place than a lot of people in America right now during the pandemic. Um, so I don't think there should be a complaint either way, but that's just 
just me and how I think, you know. What do you think it's going to take mentally for whatever team makes it and wins the championship? You know, what do you think outside of the normal, you know, um, mental uh, barriers that you might have trying to chase a championship, but in that bubble, you're away from family, you know, it's just a different, you know, atmosphere altogether. You know, what do you think it's going to take whatever team makes it to get to that last hurdle? Whoever is uh, trying to uh, get to the championship and to win it, they have to be focused on where they are now. They can't be focused on life as, as normal. They can't be focused on my family is here, my family is there. Not to say forget your family, but if you put those things in your mind, you start to miss it all the time, and then you forget what your actual job is, you know. You, of course, you talk to your family and, you know, you keep up with day to day things with your kids and stuff like that. But you have to be locked into the moment of where you are and embrace it. And I think it's going to take those guys time. But over the next two or three weeks, we'll start to see it become normalized. And those guys will fall right into playoff mode and be ready to go chase the championship. Thing with so the championship. Who is, WNBA as well. So, who uh, you know, in the WNBA uh, bubble, who is your – uh, your last two teams and who you think is going to take it? I got right now, I got Chicago. Okay. And actually, I'll take that back. Chicago and Seattle. I'm going to go with Chicago. Oh. Okay. I guess I don't have to ask who out of those two uh, you'll be pulling for, huh? Yeah. Chicago. <laughs> out of those two, I don't know. It's a toss up. It's a toss up. Toss-up. Okay. You're not gonna ride for the team that drafted you. I mean, yeah, because they have a <laughs> they got Brianna Stewart and they got Sue Bird and Jewel Lloyd. They got some great players and they've won a championship already. They have the experience. So, you know, it's hard for me to say them, but I think Chicago has a lot of talent as well. So it'll be competitive. Okay. Uh and obviously I know you're you, you Washington. I feel as though, I feel as though you need to give me a two B because I got to throw the Mystics. A two B. <laughs> they are the defensive champs. I, I apologize. Okay, okay. Um, I, I'll, I'll let you have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what do you think about the um, the NBA bubble? Who do you think is going to be the last two teams and uh, who will win it? Believe it or not, Toronto. Toronto. Mm-hmm. Why do you think they've been so slept on, um, even though they, they're the reigning champs? They did lose Kawhi. I'm a um, human fan. And that's an unpopular thing. But I pay attention to the way he leaves. I pay attention to to the way he responds when he doesn't play well now. And I think he's gotten over that hump from a mental standpoint. I think he's ready to lead the team to another finals. Okay. Okay. Now, you know, who do you think is going to be ultimately uh, the champion? One of those L.A. teams. <laughs> One of those L.A. teams. I'm from Cleveland, grew up with Brian, so you know I'm always riding with Brian. Okay, okay. Yeah. I guess all they got to do is send Lou Williams to uh, get, get some more wings. And, no, I uh, live in, let me take it back. I live in Houston, <laughs> and I'm a huge you know what? They're surprising me. Um, I thought, you know, that their height would get in the way, but their defensive tenacity uh, has really been a, a, a surprise, especially with a Dan Tony led team. You, you wouldn't think, 
you know, defense would be a big thing with that team. Um, but they right. really are yeah. riding to the Rockets too. It'll be Rockets and one of the LA teams to go to the finals, and it's going seven games. It's going seven games. <laughs> yep, seven games. The Rockets are tough. They've been playing resilient, man. I gotta, I gotta give credit to them. What credit is? I think it's because of Russell Westbrook. Absolutely. I think, I think he's he's kind of giving them a jolt of that energy that he plays with all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just rubbing off on everybody else. And uh, a lot of people say he's like the best teammate they've ever had. So uh, even though he gets this reputation as being kind of a, a hard guy, all of his teammates love him. Here in Houston, they love him. They love yeah. him. He's a great guy. Yeah. I haven't yeah, met him yet. I've been around pretty much all the guys, but I haven't met Russell personally yet, but I've heard nothing but great things about him. Ooh, well, um, so, you know, you said you're about to move, go back over to Turkey. Um, are you nervous about, you know, any kind of uh, no, because they protocol? Did no, because they did their homework and they shut things down like we should have done in America. I'm sorry I'm moving around. I got to get ready. I got an appointment at 315. I'm going to be running late for Oh, no, no, no worries. No yeah. Worries. But yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm not worried about anything heading over there. They um, they took care of everything that they needed to take care of up front. So, I'm comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I wish I could say the same here. Uh, I wish I could say the same. I'm kind of anxious to get over there just because of the fact that they've done all their, their homework and did everything right. Yeah, you can probably do a lot more things outside and, and do more be more social over there. Um, but hey, I, it's really been a pleasure having you on. Um, I wish you nothing but luck in your uh, new season over there. And um, you know, uh, like I said, uh, you're you're definitely one of the rebels that we love having, and uh, we'd love to have you back anytime.